Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Glad to welcome you to today's Beeson Podcast. This is actually a conversation I had with Dr. Victoria Gaston back in 2011 called Lent and the Life of Prayer. We're playing it again because we're in the season of Lent, and this is a wonderful spiritual focus that we all need to be thinking about on Lent and the Life of Prayer. Dr. Gaston received both a Master of Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry from Beeson Divinity School. She's been the curator of Andrew Jarreau Hodges Chapel here since 2009. A wonderful woman of faith. She's had such a great influence on our whole community, students, faculty, and staff. Listen to this conversation between the two of us on Lent and the Life of Prayer. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, a person with whom I work on a daily basis here at Beeson Divinity School, Vicki Gaston. Vicki is the curator of Hodges Chapel. And that's a job that involves her in worship planning, and she also has responsibility for spiritual formation in our school, working with students and faculty and staff uh, to bring us closer to Jesus Christ. And that's the passion and desire of her heart, I know. So, Vicki, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Dean George. Vicki has a background in uh, – what was your undergraduate degree in? My undergraduate degree is a BA in social welfare. And where was that done? Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. And then you came to Beeson, and you have a Master of Divinity degree yes, from our school. I do. And you've been on staff as the curator of Hodges Chapel for – Almost two years. Seems like you've been here forever. Of course, you were our student before you were our curator, so – uh, we've had a good and uh, happy relationship working uh, with you in so many ways. And today, in particular, I wanted us to focus on the season of Lent. We're now in the season of Lent, and next week will be Holy Week, when Christians around the world will join together in praying and listening to the Scriptures and coming together to remember especially the suffering, the death of Jesus leading up to the great Easter resurrection celebration. So tell us a little bit, what is Lent and why should Christians be concerned about it? Lent is a holy season of preparation to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a time of penance and remembering in one's faith and trust in God in the salvation that he has brought to us and a time of remembering the atonement for our sins that Jesus paid on the cross for us. Lent is a time that keeps us from, as some people would say, jumping over the cross It calls us to come to the cross and look upon our Lord and Savior and his last week here on earth and his teaching, his love, his gifts, preparing us to receive him as our Lord and Savior. For instance, on Palm Sunday, the triumphant, the Messiah's come. And then with that week of people realizing that not only is Jesus Messiah, but he is the King of kings and Lord of lords and our Savior. And so on Monday, Thursday, uh, the night that uh, the Last Supper and where he washed the disciples' feet and prepared them to go forth and do all that he 
would call all of us to do and for us to remember that when he washes our feet, that he is preparing us to live and breathe and have our being in him through what he calls us to do by believing in him as Lord and Savior. And then on Good Friday, to sit and look upon that death and the the rending of, of God's heart, giving his all in all for us and waiting on Saturday, the Easter Vigil mm. Day, for that great bursting forth from the tomb mm. where he is resurrected. And in the early church, I know, the Easter Vigil, the Saturday you're talking about, was a time for baptism for new Christians right. to enter into the Christian life. And I've often thought that during those 40 days of Lent, when new Christians were preparing to enter into the Christian faith and learning of God's Word and being taught by elders and mentors in the church, and then waiting until that day with anticipation for that baptism and for the community of believers to be waiting for them Mm. as the baptism was completed, for them to all then go together rejoicing and receiving communion together Mm -hmm. on that Resurrection Sunday. So as I I listen to you talk, it it seems we could say that Lent and Holy Week in particular is a way of walking with Jesus through this final week prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, identifying with him, waiting with him in Gethsemane, listening to him in a new and special way, perhaps. Now, you're an Anglican. I know that. I'm a Southern Baptist. So we have some differences between us in regard to our denominational uh, affiliation. And let me ask you a question that uh, a lot of Southern Baptists and a lot of free church people, Pentecostals, many other free church Christians, might uh, ask about why Lent? Why, Why do you make a big deal out of Lent? Because it's not a part of a lot of American free church uh, tradition. Many evangelicals are learning about Lent, some for the first time in recent years. So, But one of the objections I've heard many times in my own life, I want to ask you, the things you say about Lent, all the wonderful things that uh, you, you talk about listening with Christ, walking with Christ, uh, shouldn't we be doing this all the time? Uh, what's so special about Lent? Uh, there's a prejudice against Lent on the part of some people. For example, Catholics uh, celebrate Lent in a special way, often by fasting and you know, traditionally having only fish on Fridays or, or giving up something for Lent. You know, so you give up chocolates or you give up you know, whatever it is for Lent. And, and it seems to some Christians that that's a kind of artificial, almost kind of works righteousness sort of thing you're trying to do to earn God's favor in Lent when you should be doing this sort of thing all along. What's your answer to that? My answer to that is it's both and. I won't speak for everyone. Lent is an intentional time in a holy season to remember the penitence, the preparation that Christ made in the 40 days in the wilderness, to face death for us and for that atonement for our sins that happens at no other time of the year than before his crucifixion. Because Jesus died only once, right? He died only once. So we're identifying with that in a special way at yes. this season of the year. Right. But then to carry forth that thought of living a life of praise and thanksgiving to God for what he has done for us through prayer and fasting, that penitence and preparation throughout our entire life has everything to do with our sanctification and God forming us into Christ-likeness as we look for him to return. 
And surely that's a lifelong process. And that's, that that's the lifelong it's process. It's not just 40 days out of the year when you try to be holy, but it's a way of coming closer to Christ yes. in this kind of special concentration yes. so that all of your life is enriched and deepened in your walk with Christ. Yes, absolutely. It might be helpful also to place Lent in the context of the church year. Lent is a penitential season of the year. Exactly. Could you walk through the seasons of the year for us in the church year and kind of remind us what they are and what special emphasis they have just briefly? We have Advent, which is the prophetic waiting of uh, Christ to come. It's also a penitential season, which isn't is it? Which is also a penitential time. It's also a time of preparation for God is coming into our hearts. And it's God who chooses us and chooses to draw us into his holy presence. But this is a time of, of remembering with praise and thanksgiving that he has done this and that purity of, of heart and living that is also a call for a time of penitence, which is, I would say, a way of remembering when Christ said, repent mm. and believe, mm. which means to continue to turn away from our sin-sick souls toward the cross, mm. to live a life of repentance, of turning away from self and turning toward the cross and walking toward Christ in faith and in hope and in love. And so the Advent is a time to remember that and to celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas, which is mm. an, our next season. And in that birth of Christ, that incarnational moment from God, that moment in time and history when God incarnate came to live and dwell among us. Mm. And then as we remember with thanksgiving the light coming into the world with Epiphany. And uh, when the three wise men came, we would all remem remember that time and that season when the wise men came to honor Christ and uh, that dwelling of him with, with us on this earth. And then when we move then right always in, into the time of Lent and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday, mm -hmm. when Christ was raised from the dead, the shortest uh, sermon in the Bible in Luke 24 is he is not here. He mm. is risen. But he promised always when he was here with us that he would return. And so within that time after Easter, we remember his ascension into heaven as, as promised with uh, our Heavenly Father and also Trinity Sunday mm. and remembering Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always uh, making uh, that manifest presence and relationship with us in our belief in him. And as the season goes on, then 50 days later with Pentecost. Mm. And what is so amazing to me about God in his word, in his timing, in salvation history, and drawing us into his life with him and communing with him and making us a people of his own that um, Pentecost was 50 days after Christ was raised from the dead, and that is when people were coming to Jerusalem to bring their 
best fruits mm. of their harvest, which mm. is why there were so many people in Jerusalem from all crowded, over the world yeah. and crowded. Yeah. And so he instead gave the best of his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, mm. the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, wonderful. And so Pentecost lasts for a long time in the church year, doesn't it? It and, does. Uh, then in the fall, many of us have very special emphasis around Reformation Day. It's not yes, technically right. maybe a right. season of the church, but <laughs> those of us who right. stand in the Reformation traditions remember Martin Luther and John Calvin and what God did in the awakening of the church in the 16th century. Absolutely. And so we celebrate Reformation Day here at Beeson, and we have a whole week of Reformation Heritage Lectures. And uh, that, of course, leads into Thanksgiving, which is more of a secular, you might say, uh, and yet it has a deeply spiritual meaning, doesn't it, as a, as a time when as a whole community, maybe a whole nation. Right. We come before God in penitence and prayer and humility and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And that, again, we're ready for Advent. And uh, so, so following the church year is is not a kind of legalistic ticking off of I have to do this no, then. No, uh, but it is a way of living out the life of Christ as a community of faith. Yes, here and now in yes. the present. And and it's it is a way of living out, and it's it's a rhythm of of remembering in our relationship with God who He is and how He draws us into union and communion with Him, individually and corporately. And thankfully, as C.S. Lewis would say, he's given us many rooms in which to worship him mm. when we worship him in truth, worship his word and his son. So this whole thing about Lent and the church year is not uh, confining us in a prison. No. No. It releases us and enriches us and widens our experience of what the true worship of God in spirit and truth ought to be. Yes. I want to focus a little bit of our discussion today on the theme of prayer because, of course, prayer is central to all of these moments and seasons of worship that we've been talking about, and maybe especially during this season of Lent and Holy Week. So um, tell us a little bit about prayer from a biblical point of view. What is prayer? From um, a biblical point of view, when one speaks of prayer, we are speaking of an intimate, communal relationship with God, our Father, through His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are praying, if we want to think of a definition of prayer, it is listening to and speaking to God about the things that pertain to our salvation. Mm. And when we have an anchor in prayer through salvation as God healing our relationship with him, salvation means healing, Mm -hmm. wholeness. Mm -hmm. He desires for us to be whole, body, mind, and soul, and be reunited to him in right relationship with him as it was before the great fall. So we always have to acknowledge that there was an original sin and that we are sinful human beings in need of a Savior. And so when we are praying and speaking to God, we are speaking to Him about His desires for us Mm -hmm. in knowing that right relationship with Him and that wholeness of our being. And that takes a lifetime. Yeah. And it is a joyful relationship with God that grows. It begins as a mustard seed of faith. It it begins with a single prayer, and then throughout our lives, he he comes into our being and teaches us how Mm. to pray 
And so often people will ask that, and thankfully they ask Jesus first. Yeah. How do we pray? And he gave so us the Lord, what would, we call the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely. And what do we learn about prayer from the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer specifically? We specifically learn in, in a way to, to come to God, our Father, which means that we belong to him, that we, have, we are part of a family of which he is sovereign and omniscient and who cares for us. And in that relationship, what is it that he desires best for us, acknowledging that he knows best? And then within that, asking for the forgiveness of our sins and how it is that he would want us to live. And it is a way when we pray in that pattern of prayer, it's, it's not a way of being locked in, in in how we commune with and communicate with God, but it is a way of, of remembering who we're talking with. Prayer is, is it, with God is, is an intentional time with our, with our Heavenly Father. But I would hope uh, that people would, as they're hearing this and remembering and thinking about how special the Lord's Prayer is, that first of all, first and foremost, listening to God first. Mm, when, yeah. we, when, we ask, when we say, hallowed be your name, that's an understanding that this is a God who dwells with us. Do you pray the Lord's Prayer every day? I do in this in this pattern prayer, but then also in in the actual words. Mm-hmm, yeah, so it's a kind of discipline in that way. Not again, not not a sort of legalistic. You have to do this today, but it's a, it's a coming into the presence of the heavenly Father, and we ask for our daily bread. So you know, do you eat every day? I mean, do you wake up in the morning every day? Right. And so the Lord's prayer should be a part of our daily life in that way. It is. It's a pattern of living. And in prayer, we are taught to pray without ceasing. Well, that becomes a part of commending all that we do to God so that what we do is pleasing to Him. We've been talking about prayer as speaking to God. And of course, there's an awful lot in the Bible about prayers that are spoken to God. But I want to ask you about solitude and silence as a part of prayer. What would you say about that? I would ask and encourage everyone who is listening to marvel at the gift that God gives us of prayer and in prayer of listening to him. And in that time of listening is a time of silence and solitude, a time of pre-preparation, if you will. And silence that we talk about is that quietness, that readiness to, to hear God. The solitude is, in that silence, the quality of the time that one is spending with God. And in that silence, asking the Holy Spirit to come and to wait for the Holy Spirit and to not inflict one's will upon that time. Say a little more about what that means, not to inflict one's will upon that time. Well, when we think of what God's will is, that is his good pleasure toward us. And when we remember that it is his desire for us to be whole, then we can't know what that is unless we hear from him. So that quietness and that solitude is in the presence of the Holy Spirit who continues the work of Jesus Christ within us, of convicting our hearts, of teaching us, of drawing us more and more into God's presence, of uh, 
revealing his word and the wisdom through his word within us, of waiting on his spirit to move in our hearts. One person that I have read is uh, Jean Guion, is a woman who lived 500 years ago, and um, she was a nun, uh, became a nun after her, after she was widowed, and has written a book called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ. Mm. In that, she writes of that time of solitude and silence and waiting on God to move, and then asking in the power of the Spirit to open the Word, open Scripture, and read it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that time of teaching that God will bring will draw you and nourish you, and I would encourage those who are listening in this time of Lent and um, as you go forth in the coming weeks that that might be a pattern to begin and wait on God to move. He, he will move in your heart. You will feel that stirring in your heart and that direction and especially in opening his word, whether that be in a directed Bible study that you have or in opening his scripture and trusting in how he is, will use that word to draw you into his presence and form you and deepen his relationship with you, it will be as though coming to the well and drinking deeply, a refreshing drink that he has to offer us. Is that a part of what is called meditation, what you're talking about now, listening to the word, waiting before God in solitude and silence? Uh, Or is meditation something altogether different? For me, meditation is something that's altogether different. Solitude and silence is not having a direction or a purpose, truly. It is waiting on what God's purpose is Mm. for you. Meditation, there's usually then what would follow that if as God stirs and moves in your heart, and particularly through Scripture in the way that he uses his word Mm -hmm. to draw us into his presence. And then in that meditation, looking at that word and praying with him through it in that teaching of it that he has for our hearts. All last year, the only scripture verse that he really gave me to meditate on is, Be ye perfect as I am perfect. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And so that was the verse, kind of your verse for that year. It was. That you turned over and over in your heart and came to see. You know, Bonhoeffer, we've been thinking about Bonhoeffer here this semester at at Beeson when Mm -hmm. he was leading the students in the seminary in Finkenwalde. He would give them a verse and say, this is your verse now, and for two or three weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the only thing he wanted them to do, really, was to focus on that verse, exactly. pray that verse, listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then they would come back and talk about mm-hmm. it. Uh, so it's that kind of idea is what you're proposing. It is. And then that going forth, because God does not call us to dwell only with him and, and his word in and through us to love him first and then to go out and love our neighbor is a time of sharing in mm. that word together. How is he using his word in common? to draw us in community with one another, and to share in faith, in celebrating, in thanksgiving, our walk with Christ together here on this earth, while we always remember that he's, he's preparing us for eternity with him. And I think often we forget, even in our prayer life, in our meditation, in our faith, that Christ is returning. He will return. And it helps us in those times of trials and tribulations that come 
and and through prayer and our relationships with him, the things that we don't understand in this world. We we live in a world where Christ has come and he is victorious over sin and death, but it, we do also live in the not yet where we wait for him to return. Mm-hmm. And so prayer gives us that place to go with God, to listen to him while we wait and to learn from him and to trust what he is doing here and now, but to trust more what he'll reveal to us in eternity with him. Vicki, you speak out of such a you know deep sense of peace with God and a reservoir of faith and trust in God. It comes through in what you're saying. I want to ask you two really hard questions now that come from our culture. They come from the lives of many people. We have uh, around us today what's called the new atheism. Very popular, very growing, especially among you know certain uh, uh, younger groups in our society that read uh, the works works of Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris or somebody, and really find it hard to believe in God. And prayer is a part of this. And two of the questions that come out in some of the literature on the new atheism are these. The first one is, how do we know when we pray that we are really talking to God and not just talking to ourselves? And the second question is, I'll give you both these hard questions together. The second question is, um, when we pray, how can we go on believing and praying when we get no answer to our prayer? Well, I will answer the second question first. Okay. The answer that I would ask people to think about is, are our prayers rightly aligned with God's prayers? Which leads into the answer to the first question. Because when we remember that prayer is secondary, it is caused by God. And I know often that we don't think of it that way. We think that we initiate prayer. But our Lord and Savior sits on his throne of grace now. We know this in Hebrews 7.25. And he lives to pray and advocate for us. So when we remember that in our relationship with God, that it is the salvation that God is offering us in our relationship with him, then when we are thinking about prayer and talking to God and with God and listening to him about the matters of our salvation in the healing of our soul, then we begin to order the prayers in ways in which we are submitting to God And so often prayer is not so much what we want out of the situation, but listening to what God's will is in the situation. So it's how we come to prayer. And in that, knowing that it is he who is drawing us to him, then awaiting expectantly in faith that he will answer. And I'm always so grateful in Psalm 27 where it says in the last verse, I would have lost hope in the land of the living if it weren't for God. Mm. And so that sort of hope and not if he's going to answer, but when. Mm. Then we think about in salvation, when is that answer given? And I will give just a very quick story. My father was involved in uh, a horrific motorcycle accident. We prayed and prayed for him, and many people prayed for him, for his healing. And the answer did not come in the way that all of us were hoping, but the answer was the best answer. The, The yes, we received what was a no, because God allowed my father to die. But in that was the greater yes, because my dad knew ultimate healing with God in the power of Christ in his 
in his death because he was a Christian. Mm. And so that's why it is so important that we remember not to keep our prayers so earthly bound. Often they're so earthly bound. Mm. But what is it in your will, Heavenly Father? Through my finite sinful eyes, help me see through your eyes what is the right answer to this prayer Mm. so that we can see how he is answering it. But if we are asking things that are not of God and not rightly aligned with him, then we have to wait until he works and helps us see how in our sin those prayers are not rightly aligned. So it brings us back in a way to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, yes. hallowed be thy name. Yes. Thy will thy. be done Absolutely. on earth as in as heaven. It is. Mm-hmm. For me, the, the verse in the Bible that speaks most deeply about the real meaning of prayer and what you're talking about, prayer is not something that's just self-generated, uh, but is really a gift that we receive, yes. is is Romans 8.26. Yes. I wonder if you would just comment. I'll read this verse, and uh, perhaps you could comment for a moment on it. It's where Paul is writing, and he says, Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, with sighs and groans, too deep for words. What does that mean? This is a scripture that um, we use regularly, um, or I do. The Lord has allowed me to be a part of a prayer and healing ministry. And often in uh, talking with people who are interested in, in praying for others, interceding for others, and remembering that we often in our mind, don't know what to say to God. But this is, this is a verse that encourages us to trust him and that in that trust of him, in the full obedience in Christ, that we don't have to know what to say, but that God will guide us mm-hmm. and show us what to say. So sometimes when we can't even formulate our prayers in words, the Holy Spirit can take the growls and grunts and sighs and groans that we offer and take them to the Heavenly Father in a way that we fully can't understand. No. but we can accept that as part of the gift of prayer to us. It, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, and it is uh, a witness to the transcendence of God and to the mystery of faith. Uh, we've been talking with Vicki Gaston today on the Beeson Podcast. We've been talking about the church year, about the holy season of Lent and Holy Week that is right upon us, and specifically these last few minutes about the life of prayer. And I wonder, Vicki, as we come to the end of this podcast, if you'd be willing to lead us in a word of prayer together, uh, praying that God will speak to all of us in a special way during this Holy Week that's coming up. Thank you. I have a poem to read, and then I will go right into prayer. It is written by William Cooper, and it's called Exhortation to Prayer. And William Cooper lived um, from 1731 to 1800. What various hindrances we meet in coming to a mercy seat. Yet who that knows the worth of prayer but wishes to be often there? Prayer makes the darkened cloud withdraw. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan 
trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. While Moses stood with arms spread wide, success was found on Israel's side. But when through weariness they failed, that moment Amalek prevails. Have you no words? Ah, think again. Words flow apace when you complain and fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent, to heaven in supplication sent, your cheerful song would oft ne'er be, hear what the Lord has done for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the gift of prayer, this gift in which we can commune with you and come into the most intimate of relationships with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts, Lord, during this time of Lent. Where we have failed you, show us. Remembering that you tear down and cleanse out of us what we no longer need in order to put in that which is right and pure in our hearts so that we may be healed fully and walk in union and communion with you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you would call us into this time of of penance and remembering, Lord Jesus, that you call us to come with broken and contrite hearts. Make us teachable, I pray, Lord Jesus, in this time and always, so that we may fully receive in the power of the Holy Spirit on that resurrection day the fullness of your love, the lavishing of your grace upon grace. For you, our Heavenly Father, give your all in all. You give your only Son so that we might know you as Father and belong to you and then know the voice that you give each one of us that blessed holy faith, so that we may go forth rejoicing, loving you and our neighbor, and going forth to do all that you have given us to do in this world. Help us always to have our eyes focused on the cross, remembering that you show us the way day by day as you prepare us for eternity with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. My guest today has been Vicki Gaston. She is the curator of Hodges Chapel here at Beeson Divinity School. Thank you so much, Vicki, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you, and Christ's peace. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.